0: Good morning. Good to be with you. I'm reading Psalm 80 this morning. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. <clears throat> you who are throned upon the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim and Benjamin and Messiah. Sear up your might and come to save us. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shades and the mighty cedars with its branches. It set out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. When then have you broken down its walls so that all who pass through the way pluck its fruit? The boar from the forest ravages it and all that move in the field, feed on it. Turn again, O Lord of hosts, look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted, and for the son whom you have made strong for yourself. They have burned it with fire, they have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. But let the hand be on on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom have made strong for yourself. And then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life, and we will call upon you your name. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. God and Heavenly Father, we truly thank you for gathering us today. And now we ask that you. Be ready for Aaron to bring the, re- the message, have your ears open, and we ask God that you be with him. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Thank you, Phil. Well, good morning. Alphas can be dismissed to go back with Mr. Chris and Miss Loretta. Uh, if you want to turn, we'll be in John chapter 15 this morning. Well, when our family lived in California, the extent of our agriculture experience was the following because we didn't have the Tunbridge Fair to walk around and learn. We had a garden that got sun all year. The sprinklers watered it every day and things grew. We had two dogs that we eventually had to get rid of. We also had some chickens until some neighbors told on us, and our HOA made us get rid of those as well. So that was about it. And I say that because whenever there is an agricultural uh, illustration or example in the Bible, which we have this morning, we saw in Psalm 80, we will see in John chapter 15, I need to make some phone calls. So I call Phil when I need to learn about shepherding. Or I call Cal to learn about how to prune trees, which we'll see this morning. Or I'll ask Bruce a question about cows. I thought that a heifer was just any old cow for my entire Christian walk but last time I asked a bull if he was a heifer he was not happy when Jesus uses illustrations of agriculture many of you know firsthand what he's talking about for me not so much but let's also admit we all need some help to bridge the gap between the culture of the first century of Israel to what we experience and what we know today. So before we jump into John 15 and we look at what it means to be in the true vine, would you pray with me? Father, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. What we are not, make us. In Jesus' name, for the Father's glory, for our joy, we ask this. And all God's people say, Amen. So let's look at the, verse, uh, the first five verses of John chapter 15, and we'll see those parallels we talked about in Psalm 80. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. So this is our setting, it's a setting of agriculture, talking about vines and branches. And Jesus, He begins here by sharing some facts. There is a vital, organic, intimate relationship that we see between the vine itself and the branches of the vine. If a branch falls off of a vine, if a branch falls off of a tree, we know what happens to that branch, right? It dies. The logical conclusion is that the branch needs the vine. And this first half of John 15 will show us that there is fruit to abiding in Christ. And the fruit is God's glory, our joy, and continued growth for each other. And so let's talk first, before we look at those three things, of what it means to abide. Jesus starts with the true statement that He says He is the true vine, the genuine vine. And the Father is the vine dresser. Psalm 80 showed us that Israel was supposed to be this true vine. But what Jesus is saying here that it's more about, it's more to it than being from a particular nation or having a particular family that you are part of. It has everything to do with abiding in Christ. And this is Jesus' final I am statement. He has now said seven of them. I am the true vine. And he is correlating himself between the God of the Old Testament, Yahweh, this covenant-keeping God who revealed himself to Moses, who keeps his promises, who has never changed. And Jesus is the true vine. The Father is also the vine dresser or the gardener. Although Jesus is central, the Father is not standing back and doing nothing, not participating in what is going on. He's not absent from the scene. The Father does two things to ensure maximum fruit He removes unfruitful branches, and He prunes fruitful branches. Jesus says in verse three that they are clean, his disciples who are hearing this because of his words, the things that he has said to them. In light of being clean, he says that we are to abide in verse four. Abiding is mentioned 10 times in seven verses, and so it's probably important for us to understand what that means. J.C. Ryle, an old theologian, he says that to abide in Christ, means to keep up a habit of constant, close communion with Him, always be leaning on Him, resting on Him, pouring out our hearts to Him, and using Him as our source of life and strength. Can we all admit, we need the vine, the true vine, Jesus Himself. And in verse 5, whoever abides in Him, he says, will bear much fruit, because apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. Branches that fall off the tree, I've already said it, they fall off and they die. Branches that are attached to the vine, they live, they grow, they produce fruit. And so there is fruit to abiding in Christ. The fruit is God's glory, our joy, and the growth of others. So let's look and see what the Father does in verses 6-8 to to see how he brings about his glory. And so, Jesus here, He's making two distinctions, okay? First, He talks about the branches that do not bear fruit. They are taken away in verse 2. And in verse 6, they are gathered up, and subsequently, they are thrown into the fire, and they are burned up. And then, the other distinction is He talks about branches that do bear fruit. Already producing fruit, Jesus says, He prunes them, and they produce more. They're trimmed so more fruit is produced. And God uses pruning. He cuts off dead wood, damaged branches, parts of the tree that are taking resources for at the expense of other parts so that the entire plant can be overall healthy. Many of you pruned bushes or trees this year. You probably saw some extended fruit, or you'll see that fruit come next year. It's good to be pruned, but we can be honest. We don't always like it, because it's painful, but it's important. Jesus says, all who produce fruit will be pruned. Those who produce little fruit will uh, will be pruned, and those who produce much fruit will be pruned. Some seasons of pruning feel like they are constant and severe, that God is just not stopping with the pruning. Sometimes it feels like, oh, just a little leaf was plucked off, and I could handle that. But if anything gets in the way of us bearing more fruit, or fruit in general, pruning is needed. And Jesus wants us to realize that pruning comes for God's people because no branch can, that is genuinely united to Christ drawing nourishment from him can grow without pruning and so if you are in a season by which you think you are being pruned constantly or you sense that your fruit is not growing it's okay because as the branch is part of the vine That's where it all starts, where the pruning will happen and the growth will happen. It's not a sign that you need to try harder. It's a sign that we just need to continue to trust the vine dresser, the gardener who is continuing to prune us. And so we should keep abiding. And the first way or to each are to abide in Jesus is to abide in his word we see in verse 7 when we abide in God's word our affections our hearts are changed they're more in line with God's Word and what God desires, where we linger long in God's Word. We don't just read a paragraph to check off the box that we're done with our reading plan. We meditate on it. We ingest it. We let it sink deeply in us and we can ask God to show us how our lives are not in line with God's Word and ask Him to transform our lives to be in line with it. Listening to songs based on God's Word is a great way to do that. I play a list every Sunday morning. You might not realize it, but it's a song list that is based on the Psalms. Every single song. And you'll see that some songs seem maybe a little somber on the morning, or some seem maybe they're a little bit more lively, but that's the way the Psalms are. There's so much emotion in the Psalms. Jesus says the first way to abide in Him is to abide in His Word. And so, church... How is that going? There is no minimum for God's Word. It's an encouragement to be in it. As much as possible should be the posture of those who are God's people. Paul says that God's Word is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. And so we can trust God's Word to do the work in your life to produce more fruit. And we, when we abide in his word, again, Jesus says that he's already said it before in the last couple of weeks that we can ask for whatever we want and it'll be granted. We said this a few weeks ago as we are aligned with God's word, we're submitted to. To God's word our prayers will then be in line with God's word and we actually pray for the things that are in God's word and we know because God is faithful and he keeps his promises that he will grant those prayers to us because he's the true vine he's the genuine vine he's the loving father the vine dresser who keeps his promises to his children as we see in his word Our prayers become versions of, Father, your will be done. Father, your kingdom come. And we know he loves to answer those prayers because he is sovereign and he is good to do so. And the fruit of this pruning, we see as well, is of this abiding in Christ, is that we glorify God and prove to be His disciples. Look at verse 8. It says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Where we bear fruit, we prove to be His disciples, and are abiding in Jesus' words, and it also brings God glory. By following God's word, which we will see more shortly, it shows the world God's holiness, and it displays His perfection as we seek to be holy ourselves. He already said, You are clean because of the word that is spoken to you, to these men who are in this room. But if you, sorry, But if you abide in Him, and His words abide in you, the Father is therefore glorified, because His holiness is made known to each other and the world around us to see Think about the distinction between again fruit producers and non-fruit producers. It starts with, as we saw, abiding in His Word. In our study on midweek, I'm leading a group with Craig over from uh, East Randolph on the Psalms, and we were in Psalm 1 this past week. Psalm 1 says that blessed is He whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on His law He meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that He does, He prospers. Where God's Word is a nourishment for our soul, and abiding in it, remaining in it for a lifetime, is like a tree that's planted along the stream that gets a constant flow of nutrients and water. Around here, we've had a bit of a drought, right? Uh, My grass has got a few brown spots in it, and although our friends in California, there's billboards that say, well, brown is the new green, I I actually like the, the Green Mountain State, so I like things to be green here in Vermont. But like the plants in our garden, we need water, and abiding in God's Word for a lifetime will produce fruit. We need His nourishment. But if we don't abide in God's word, I think the question that Jesus wants us to ask is are we really a branch? Jesus says it proves you're his disciple. Even if there's a little bit of fruit, consider giving yourself over to the vine dresser to be pruned a little bit to produce more fruit. We can change our habits to allow more fruit to be produced and Jesus says it starts with abiding in his word look with me at verses 9 through 11 as it brings us much joy as well as the father has loved me so I have loved you abide in my love if you keep my commandments you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments abide in his love these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So again, remember, we've already seen that apart from Christ, we can do nothing. If you're like me, you like tasks, you like boxes to check off. I want to make sure that I produce fruit, that I did... uh, I like to do a Bible reading plan, but I also don't like the piece of paper that's given out oftentimes where you check off the boxes. If you are friends with me on the YouVersion app, you've probably seen that I stopped checking off the boxes, but I've kept reading because it became just a habit to just do the task and move on without allowing God's Word to transform me, allowing God to prune me, I can read it real fast, and I can just say, I did it. We are first to abide in God's Word, but here Jesus says we are also to abide in His love, in verse 9. Jesus' brother Jude says this in His book, His letter, keep yourselves in the love of God. Another way of saying remain or abide in His love. And so how do we abide in God's love? I'm glad you asked. Thank you. I think there are a few ways. First, we remind ourselves and each other of God's love of the gospel. John 3.16. You're probably all familiar with this passage. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life and so our salvation starts with God's love when there isn't much fruit or the pruning is painful it's a good reminder that God first loved us is it not and so keep yourself in that love Second, we keep ourselves in another type of love of God, a merciful love. Paul says this in Romans 5, "...for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us." Mercy is God not giving us what we deserve. While we should be the branches thrown into the fire, we are spared. We need reminders of God's merciful love just as much as we need reminders of His gracious love. And grace is not giving us, or sorry, giving us what we don't deserve. God's love is also eternal. It says, before the foundation of the world, He called us, He chose us, He saved us. Psalm 136, if you're familiar with that song, it says over and over again, His love is endures forever. Where God's love is grace, not giving us what we deserve, the consequence of our sin. God's love is mercy, giving us what we don't deserve, salvation from our sins. And God's love is also enduring because, friends, He keeps His promises. And when He says He will save us from our sins, you can take it to the bank that He will. Keep yourself in that love. The gospel is the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And it's necessary to remain in that, to meditate on it, to be reminded of that. Because there's nothing we can do to make God love us anymore. We can't check enough boxes. He loves us. But we also can't outsin His mercy. He doesn't cast us away, as we've seen in the Gospel of John. There is nothing we can do to make God love us any less at the same time. And you need both sides of this coin. And that's freedom, and that's where... uh, But there is also a way Jesus calls us to abide in light of that. It's also necessary to abide in obedience. We see in verse 10, he says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Our least favorite four-letter word in the church, obey. Not bearing fruit is shown here as not doing what Jesus commands. If you keep the commandments, you abide in the love of God. If you don't keep the commandments, we're not abiding. If we know what happens to the branches, or sorry, and we know what happens to the branches who don't bear fruit This fruit is Christ-like character. This is what Paul refers to as the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And the application of the picture of the vine is clear. To remain in Christ is is to become fruitful. But without Christ, we can do nothing. That doesn't mean we sit around and do nothing. We remain in Him. We remain in His Word. We remain in the Gospel. And we clearly see, we obey the commands of those three things to do so. But on our own, we produce nothing of eternal value. Because apart from Christ, we can do nothing. When we're down, the world would call us probably just to have a better attitude, to fix our situation, to give ourselves, to read a book, or give yourself some grace, or listen to this person. You're just doing fine. Or when we're doing well, it's good job. Keep up the good work. Wow, you've really overcome that obstacle you were trying to get past. But we need the gospel. We cannot fix ourselves. We need God's love to change our thinking, to change our affections, because we need a savior, not a worldly solution. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. And as a result of abiding in Christ is God's glory, this section we just looked at shows us another fruit. Abiding in his love is for your joy. Verse 11, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So this fruit that issues out of this faith union with Christ lies at the heart of how Jesus brings glory to his Father. Where failure to honor the Son is a failure to honor the Father or to make him known as holy or to give him glory. And fruitlessness is threatened with fire because it robs God of the glory that He deserves. But it also robs us of joy. You might be asking the question, well, obedience doesn't really give me much joy. I wish I could do something else. It's hard to follow Jesus. It's challenging to obey. It's not freeing to keep all of the rules. But may the pastor who wrote the letter to the Hebrews encourage you, as he calls the church, to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, Endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Pastor John Piper calls Christian joy a good feeling in the soul, produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the Word and in the world. And so, are you joyful like that? We could be honest, I'm not always joyful. Like that. I need reminders of the love of God, myself, the gospel. And so, as the Son obeys, we obey. As the Son kept the commands, we keep the commands. As the Son abided in the love of the Father, we abide in the same love. Where God's love of grace, God's love of mercy, His love that endures forever is true love from the true vine, the vine that we need to abide in. You can try to obey out of obligation or fear, but true joy comes from obeying in light of what God has already accomplished for you through His Son's death and His subsequent resurrection from the dead. It doesn't earn us anything, but our efforts are a response to what God has already earned for us because of His mercy and His grace. Happiness in Christ is not optional for the Christian. What Jesus is saying here is that it's essential for us. Because God is the only true object of, and that is deserving of worship. It is right for God to require worship of His people. And also to receive it. And that's where we get to experience the most joy ourselves. Where God gets His glory and we get our joy. And obedience is not judgery. John says this in his first letter, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And he says, And His commandments are not burdensome. God's word is good for us to follow. The law shows us our need for a Savior, that love of God that we can abide in. It protects us from what is against God's will, that we can follow. And it shows us how to live in Christ. I lost my spot. Without God's word, we can't even know God's love. When we obey God's command, there are a lot of them. I looked it up. I think Jesus specifically commands about 65 things. If you look at the Old Testament, I think there's like 600, 700 commands in there. When we obey God's commands, there are a lot of them. When we abide and remain in the love of God, it brings God glory and it gives us joy. But remember again, apart from Christ, we can do nothing. When we don't obey, it's okay to rest. That Jesus died for that sin too. So we can seek to abide in his word and love as a response. And abiding is an ongoing expression of our love for God. It's responding to, it's being enabled by the love of God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength to follow Him, to love God forever. C.S. Lewis said this, which I think it hits hard in our culture that just seeks joy Where it says, you do you, do what you want to do. Or our world says to seek joy in the things of this world, like money or power or sex or pride. The world says, if it doesn't bring you a feeling of joy, just don't do it. C.S. Lewis says this, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when, it, when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go about making mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine what it's meant by an offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. The things of this world will not give us lasting and true joy but God's love will. Abiding in the love of God produces the fruit of God's glory. Abiding in Christ's love produces the fruit of joy. Jesus says it also produces growth for others. Look at verse 12 through the end of this section. Jesus says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no other one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Where we abide in Christ, we abide in His Word, we obey it, and we also abide in His love, but we also get to abide with each other, the people of God, and we get to love one another. We abide in fruitfulness. Jesus' command is to love one another as He has loved us. Where He died in our place, on the cross, for our sins, and we get to do that for each other not to accomplish salvation for each other, but we get to display the life of Jesus, the work of Christ on our behalf for each other, to be reminded of the Gospel, the love of God, as we humbly and sacrificially love one another. He is talking to His disciples in this room, where we are to abide in Christ, we are to abide in His love, we are to abide in His Word, we are to abide with each other as we love God and love others, as it says there on that back wall that you see every week. Love is greatest when one lays down his life for others. And what this word means is to set aside, to give it up, to show deference freely for someone else. Jesus did that by literally laying down his life for us. And we get to model that act of sacrifice for each other. Again, It's rarely a joy for me to lay down my life. I am selfish, but that's what Jesus calls us to. Jesus says we are his friends if we obey. As friends, he died for us, and it's all come full circle. By abiding together, our abiding and fruit remains, where we get to help each other to abide. By hearing, obeying, loving, abiding, we aren't the branches that don't bear fruit. We won't be the branches gathered up and thrown into the fire. And there's a close close relationship between our response, but also God's work. We've seen this throughout the Gospel of John, where Jesus has made it easy to see these distinctions between those who are His and those who are not. A test of genuine discipleship. It all starts with Jesus, the Good Shepherd. We see in verse 16, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. And verse 17 again reminds us, again, of our prayers being answered where Jesus initiates our salvation. He completes our salvation. He initiates this friendship with Him. And He brings us into this ultimate perfection as we will eventually see Him face to face. We see that in His Word. We see that in His Gospel of love. And we get to see that together. His Gospel, we get to see together. You see the connections here of abiding in Christ? Abiding in Christ is a close relationship. It's obedience to the Word. Sorry. Obedience to the Word doesn't make us friends of Jesus, but it does characterize those who are His friends. We didn't choose Jesus. He chose us. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. We didn't choose to bear abiding fruit. We're equipped by Jesus to bear fruit fruit and we get to love one another and our fruit will abide forever and as we bear fruit our love keeps multiplying and it keeps abiding as we love God love others and make disciples who will then do likewise the last words of our passage this morning these things I command you so that you will love one another and so the application of the imagery of abiding is clear to remain in Christ is to become more fruitful Without Christ, we cannot be fruitful. Our fruit comes from loving one another, from helping each other to produce fruit in the process. The largest and tallest trees in the world are redwood trees. Maybe some of you have seen them. The General Sherman tree in Sequoia National Park is the largest living organism in the world. It is massive. But the roots of redwood trees, they are intertwined together. Their roots are very shallow, but as the roots intertwine together, when a strong wind comes, each of the trees hold each other up. They abide together. Together. They make sure they continue to grow. They can make sure that they continue to help each other to bear fruit. Phil didn't help me with that one. That's why we gather as God's people. Hebrews says to not neglect gathering, which is an encouragement, ironically, for those who aren't here this morning. We forget the word. We forget to remain in the gospel. We forget that we are called to bear fruit Together, The Christian life is an individual salvation that we respond to Jesus as individual, but it is meant to be lived in community. It's a community effort, and we need each other to remain faithful, to produce fruit. And so, don't neglect to be together. It's the best way to love your neighbor as yourself, because you're with your neighbors. You're with people in the church it's the best way to help each other to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Our abiding leads to God's glory. And so honor and praise Him alone for accomplishing our salvation. We don't see people praising themselves for their salvation, like, good job, Aaron, you finally believed, you, you did it, you responded. Who do we thank? God, thank you for saving me Father, thank you for doing the work in my life. Friends, may we glorify his name. Abiding in God's word leads to God's glory. Our abiding also leads to our joy. True joy, although sometimes hard, is found in Jesus and following him, believing in him, obeying him, and so remain in the love of God's mercy, in the love of his grace, his love that endures forever. Because God keeps his promises and if he says there is joy, you can trust me, there will be joy. And our abiding also helps the body grow in number, but also in maturity. As we display the life of Jesus to each other, as we declare the truth about Jesus to each other, we love one another. We remind each other of God's mercy and God's grace, even in discipline and correction. But I think it can be oftentimes discouraging trying to watch a vine grow. When you look out and you're wandering the woods around here, you probably all know where the biggest maple tree you've ever seen is currently located. You see some branches probably that have fallen off that tree, the size of some of the smaller maples around it. It's been through a lot, that big tree. Maybe you feel like that's you, that it's gone through a significant amount of pruning, but you don't see the growth. None of us saw those big maple trees planted that are around here. They're probably two, three hundred years old. You also never saw that tree grow. Over time, though, that tree has done what it was supposed to do. And Christian, we grow in our honoring of God, our joy, and our loving of each other. It's a fact that will happen as we abide in the vine, doing what we as God's people, as Christians, are supposed to do, trusting the gardener, the vine dresser, to grow us into a vine that will bear fruit. Because apart from Christ, we can do nothing. Jesus says if we don't do the commands, we are not his friends. We won't, we don't abide, we are not his love, in his love. Like we've seen over the last couple weeks, we don't receive the Holy Spirit. There is no place for us in heaven. We have nothing. Together, though, we abide in God's word for his glory. We abide in Jesus' love for our joy. And by doing so together, we will abide together forever. There is fruit to abiding in Christ, his glory, our joy, and growth for each other. And so when you sense there's no hope in sight, when things are discouraging, you can't see the growth happening, ask God to help you see the growth, to help us to abide, to be in his word, to remember the gospel, to be with God's people, because apart from him, we can do nothing. And Jesus says in our passage, whatever you ask the Father in my name, He will give it. The immediate application of our response to this passage is right there. We ask God to help us. Because apart from Him, we can do nothing. But He says He will give us what we ask in His name, in line with His word, rooted in His gospel, for our collective joy as His people. And so we'll respond in joy and sing some songs and give God the glory that He deserves Would you pray with me? Father, we we thank you for the pruning that you do in our lives, although painful at times. We praise you for the glimpses of joy that we get to experience, even the reminders of the gospel. God, we are so easily distracted. We are so easily forget what you have done for us. And so God, we thank you for sending your son to die in our place on the cross for our sins. God, thank you for him who obeyed so that he would be the substitute for our disobedience. And Father, God, we thank you for sending your son because apart from him, we can do nothing. Father, thank you for helping us, for keeping us in your love, for giving us the ability to praise you for the fruit. God, we ask that you would bring about more fruit in our lives. And as Paul says in Ephesians, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And God's people said,